Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in today's show, I'm sharing a fun Christmas party idea that I did in my studio a couple of years ago. You can find the article that goes along with today's episode and explains each of the games and activities we did in detail at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 167 or if you're not a member, colorfulkeys.ie slash 167. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. So great to be here with you again and to share this episode. And I have to say, this is in a way a little bit of a special one for me because I have been sitting on this content this article for quite a while now i think it's almost two years i wrote this just after i hosted this original christmas piano party style concert or performance opportunity for my students i'll go into the details of what that was but i did that in december of 2019 (laughs) and then i was going to explain how it went and everything in 2020. So I put together all the details uh, into a draft document to save them for next year so they'd be fresh in my mind and I could publish them in September, October, stuff to help you guys plan for maybe doing a Christmas party in 2020. Now clearly that wasn't the best time (laughs) to do this kind of event because it was group and it was in and out of people and lots of mixing and mingling, and there was just no point publishing that, because the majority of the world, yes, there were some places that could have done it, but the majority of us couldn't. And so I decided, no, we're just going to leave this and see if 2021 is more likely, and it looks like it is, so we're going ahead and publishing it. Hopefully you're able to make use of these ideas. If you're still not able to do in-person workshops or events, I totally get that and you do you and you do what's safe and recommended in your area but we are going to go ahead and publish this because I think in many areas it is possible now and I want to share these ideas with you. If you're in an area where you can't do this maybe you can take some of these ideas and do them online or maybe you just save this for 2022 and let the ideas ruminate in the back of your mind until then. So what am I even talking about? Well, this is an event I did in December 2019 called Blitzen Bash. That's what I called it, Blitzen Bash. And in a way, that's sort of, I guess, the choice of topic. 
means that yes, it is Christmassy, but it's sort of commercial Christmassy. It's not religious Christmassy. And I hope I didn't offend any Christians listening, taking the commercial aspects of Christmas only. But really, Ireland is a culturally Catholic country. That's what we're often called. We're filled with mostly lapsed Catholics and people who we still enjoy a lot of the traditions and some of them come from paganism anyway. And so we've continued them forward and we Christmas is pretty big here, pretty widespread. It's pretty accepted that it'll be done in schools and all of those sorts of things. And we do have schools where they would do all the different events around that time of year or throughout the year, different festivals and things versus the ones that just do the Christian ones. So there is that inclusivity, but in general, everyone does Christmas. That's just kind of how it is here. So I just wanted to throw that out there because maybe that's not the case for you. Maybe this would be a sensitive type of party to do for you and you need to call it something more secular than Blitzen, okay? But that's associated with Santa, which is really considered sort of non-religious over here. Yeah, so maybe you need to call it a winter party or something. Snowflake ball, I don't know. Anyway, for me it was the Blitzen Bash, and the point of this was to provide a gig-like experience. That was my idea. I wanted to provide a different type of performance opportunity for my kids so that they could play for other people as if it was at a Christmas party or a party of any kind, as if it was kind of a gig where people are milling about, they're talking in the background, they're doing different things around them. It's all a bit distracting, but at the same time, for some kids, easier to perform in that environment because although it's distracting, that means people are distracted from putting all their attention on you. I know as a child myself, this would have gone way better for me than all the more traditional concerts or recitals did. I have never liked the attention being on me. Maybe despite appearances of of doing YouTube shows and stuff now, but I don't like being the center of attention. If you meet me in a public place, you'll realize I yeah, I like to blend into the background quite a bit. I am quite an introvert and this would have suited me. So it's not about transitioning everyone over to this format because that's what it would have suited me. It's about providing different types of opportunities that push students in new ways and provide a more relaxed environment for others. And that's flipped almost in a concert if one suits you or another. So the idea was that students would come at various intervals throughout the day. So they were kind of spaced apart in clumps and families would come and the student would perform on a set list, but only some of the families would be there at one time. So for example, two families arrive at 10 a.m. and then their kids start playing and then at 10.15, two more families arrive. The 10 a.m. families have not stopped playing yet the 10-15 families are going to play after them. So the idea was that you would hang for a bit before and after your kiddo played. They would have some treats, they would play some games and listen to a few different people perform. And people would be going in and out so it wasn't so traditional and we didn't have everyone there at once. That possibly brings me to the only thing I would have changed and I would change if I do this kind of party again. I didn't make it quite tight enough. So this was one of the most difficult parts to plan was like, how staggered do you put them? And 
in some parts of the day it worked really well because I happened to have several families that I knew would want to come together, like they were sharing lifts or anything like that. So they came together. So some parts of the day were a little bit denser than others. And those parts actually worked better. But again, I was trying to estimate how long might people stay and how long might it take each kid to perform. And there was a lot of logistics involved there. But I planned that they would be there about 15 minutes before they were due to play. And I was reasonably accurate on the schedule of playing, just maybe not so much on how long families stayed. Maybe they didn't stay quite as long or those clumps kind of swayed things a bit. But anyway, I think I would make it closer together. So that was the environment. And when there were enough people here, there were those little patches of the day where there wasn't quite enough of an audience for the student that was playing. You know, I didn't feel badly for them. There were still a couple of families there to listen, but it didn't have quite the the right atmosphere. But the rest of the day, when there were enough people here, it definitely worked really well and provided a really different environment for them. And many kids said that they really enjoyed it, playing in that way, and it felt like the pressure wasn't on them, especially my more shy students really liked playing in that environment and found it really, really fun. And they loved all the party games as well. So I wanted this to feel like a party, like a kid's party, right? Not a grown-up party. And so it was for them. So I wanted proper party games. Now, I don't have a kid, right? So I don't know, but I kind of suspect that maybe this doesn't happen that much anymore, that you do like a party with party games. It wasn't even very common when I was a kid, if I'm honest. When I was a kid, this was what my party looked like, my birthday party. And then most other parties, this is when I'm in primary school, right? Elementary school. Most other parties that I went to were like at a place. We went to the cinema, we went to fun zone or whatever, which is like an indoor playground kind of thing, or like a water park or something. You went to a thing and did a thing together. And while that's great, I always thought my parties were the best and maybe my friends were just being nice, but they kind of said that too. No one said my parties were lame or boring or anything like that, even though they were just at my house with my mom's made-up games and my dad's puppet show. Maybe that's a whole other story, but yeah, my mom would have put together a lot more traditional party games, parlor games, you know, for kids, and my dad would do a puppet show at the end because he had a whole collection of puppets. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that he has lots of hilarious puppet voices to do, so that always sold the whole thing. It was definitely a lot of fun. So I guess I wanted to bring that to the kids in my studio. I'm sure they have occasional parties like that too, but those are my favorite types of games. So that's what we did. So I split it up into four stations and each station had a game added and instructions on how to do it. So let me go through each of those stations and then I'll tell you which one was the favorite. You can try and guess as I talk through them here. So the first station was called Pin the Tail on the Treble Clef, right? Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Pin the Tail on the Treble Clef. So for this one, I had a giant treble clef. I sort of printed mine as an outline of a treble clef and then colored it in. That was maybe an odd way to do it, but it seemed the simplest to me at the time. You could totally just draw one. 
I guess I couldn't be bothered drawing one. I knew I'd have to try it a few times, right? On a giant scale, I can draw a treble clef. I'm talking about a giant one. <laughs> so yeah, I printed it out on separate pieces of paper and stuck them together on a big mounting board. And then I colored it in to make it kind of rainbow colors. And you can see photos, of course, of all of this in the article. That's at colorfulkeys.ie slash 167 or for members, vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 167. So yeah, I had my big travel clef and then I had post-it notes. So for the tail, I oh yeah, I should have said that. So I left off the dot, the circle at the end of the treble clef. That's what we were calling the tail of the treble clef that we're going to pin on pin quote unquote because I used post-its. I thought that would be simpler, maybe safer, and also I didn't have a corkboard on hand. So and the mounting board I was using was not foam core, it was a hard one. So yeah, I happened to have speech bubble post-it notes, so they're almost a circle, which is that little bit sticking out. So I gave them those and they had to blindfold themselves and then try and put the tail on the treble clef. So I gave them instructions. Here's what the instructions said on the sign. Number one, stare at the treble clef intensely until you think you've memorized where the tail should go. Two, have someone help you put on the blindfold, put the treble clef's tail, i.e. the post-it note, in your hand and spin you around, leaving you back facing towards the treble clef. Three, try to place the tail on the treble clef. Four, take off the blindfold, trace around your spot, meaning trace around the post-it, and sign your name. I said to trace around it because I knew the post-its would fall off, and they did. (laughs) So that worked great. Station number two was called Name That Tune. And for this station, I put together coloured notation versions of excerpts from pop songs, famous classical themes, and Christmas carols. So I did this in MuseScore using the coloured notes function, which transforms them into boomwhacker colours. You could draw them out by hand, you could colour them in yourself, you could do a different way of doing Name That Tune. I quite like the the coloured option. And yeah, so I did a few different things. They were things like, you know, Beethoven's Fifth, but also Just The Way You Are or pop songs and then also some Christmas songs since it was a Christmas party so Jingle Bells was in there etc etc and I set these cards up so I I put them on cards cut apart you know smaller card size with just an excerpt of the melody and then I put them on a recipe book stand that I happen to have I don't have any music stands around since I don't play any instruments where you would really use one So I put them on a recipe book stand beside my set of boom whackers, which were in my homemade boomophone. If you're not familiar with boom whackers, by the way, they are those big colored tubes and you whack them and they're a certain note, like a really deep C or D or whatever they say on them. So you can use them like that and you whack them. I also have created my own version of what boomwhackers would call a boomophone, which is a big case, I guess. It's like a big roll of fabric with elastic loops on it so that you slot the boomwhackers in so that they lie beside each other and they're held still and you can then use it like a xylophone. That's why it's called a boomophone. Now, they have their own branded one that you can just buy, but 
I felt like sewing it at the time, so that's what I did. So they were in my boomophone, and they tapped out the, the pattern and then tried to guess what it was. So, very simple, but I thought it would provide a nice alternative, and almost, even though they're a bit noisy, they're not that noisy, almost a quiet alternative to the shrieks of the treble clef pinning game on the other side of the room. This was all, by the way, in my home studio, which is just my living room plus kitchen, or it was at the time, it's since changed, but anyway, my living room plus my kitchen. So it's like a big open plan living room. And so the boomwhacker station was at the back corner beside my back door, and the travel club was more close to the front of the house. So it's not a huge space, but they were separate from each other, so that that was kind of a quieter side of the room. Then station number three was also in the front section in the living room section because it was a louder one and that was the symbol snowman and i'm already laughing at the memory of this because okay number one this was the ugliest thing you have ever seen <laughs> it was a monstrosity but it, it went over great so I made this out of, okay, I had an old portfolio case, which is like a big corrugated plastic thing. It was A0 size, it was for my art student date, so it was huge. A0, if you're not familiar with international paper sizes, that's the maximum size. So it's just this huge piece of corrugated plastic. Then I stuck paper circles on the front to make a snowman. Then I cut holes where his buttons would be and where his eyes would be and his mouth, I think. And then I put like little pots. Now I would have had flower pots. That's probably what I would recommend using. I fashioned my own out of tubes. Anyway, so I, I had like little containers in these buttonholes. You are going to have to see the photo of this because this is so hard to explain. And then I painted those black. Again, if I'd used flower pots, little plastic flower pots, which I have loads of, I think I even had them then. What was I doing using these? Anyway, they would have been black already inside, but whatever I used was not, so I had to paint it. And here's where it all went wrong. Here's where he turned into the ugliest monster <laughs> you've ever seen. Because I used paint I had and it was okay it's like water-based oil paint it's a very weird product but anyway it was these like they're almost like fake oil paints that I had again from my art days turned out it had expired or that's what we have to assume had happened because it was the wrong consistency and it wouldn't dry and if, by the way, if you paint and you're familiar and you're saying to the podcast player right now, oil paint isn't supposed to dry straight away. Yeah, it's not. But this is. this. I did know what paint I was using. It just wasn't working the way it, it's supposed to. It's supposed to dry instantly. It's not like regular oil paint. Anyway, so I got black everywhere, made giant messes, tried to clean it up, drew on a carrot for his nose. But even that turned out messy because I think my marker ran out of ink. I don't know. This was just one of those messy times, guys. Some of you think I'm so organized and on the ball. And sometimes things just end up as a giant mess and I have to yell at it and then laugh at myself. I mostly just laughed though because this was hilarious looking. And 
my husband G came home and saw it and just went, what have you made? Oh my god, that's going to scare all the children. But I knew it would only be adults who would be scared by it, so we used it. So I propped that up against a wall. So it was like a game where you throw the bean bags and it goes through the hole, you know, the wooden game that you play outside. That was the idea. So that you're throwing bean bags and it's going into the snowman's buttons or eyes or mouth, which are these black pots, which I just about convinced to sort of dry. And I had them throw bean bags with certain musical symbols into the pots and the pots said what they were. So it was like treble clef has to go into the treble clef one, right? So that was the game. Now, it looked crazy. None of the kids were actually scared of it. They just laughed at it, which I was totally fine with. And they threw them in and yeah, okay, they didn't always aim for the correct symbol. This was not a workshop. This was not a time when I'm like really focused on the pedagogical concept. It was really just thrown in as an extra, like, yeah, this is how you get the extra points. But I knew some of them would just throw it at the snowman's face and that was fine. So yeah, that's how that one worked. And then the last station was a coloring station. And again, I wanted to provide this as a quieter alternative for kids who were overwhelmed by the big noisy environment of their living room and wanted something quieter to do. Coloring station went great. I had coloring sheets and also just blank sheets. And honestly, they just wanted the blank sheets, which I always think is awesome because I love when kids just want to draw their own thing rather than coloring inside the lines, although both are great. So those were my four stations. Which one do you think was the favorite? It was the hideous snowman. I mean, no contest whatsoever. The other three were probably an equal tie in many ways. The guess that tune was probably by a slight margin the least popular. That's the Boomwhacker one. Slightly less popular than Coloring Station and Treble Clef. Pin the tail on the Treble Clef. Those were probably a tie for second. But first place by 100 meters <laughs> was the simple snowman. He was terrifying looking, but he was so popular. And it was just great fun to throw beanbags at him. They just loved it. So I highly recommend making one. Just check the expiration on your paint or buy new paint. Paint costs what? A few euro? What was I doing? But anyway, that's what I did. And it all worked out fine in the end. So which one of those do you think you might try? Maybe you're going to try the whole event just as I did it, but with maybe a tighter time frame than I did between the students. Maybe you just like the milling about idea, but it's giving you a brainstorming option, you know, a, a starting point for a way to do that yourself that's more like a cocktail party, right? If you have a bunch of teenage students and you want to be sophisticated, you could do mocktail hour or something. I feel like there's so many ways to do this. But the general concept of a milling about party atmosphere to perform in or like a gig-like atmosphere, like I know some teachers have done this in a coffee shop or even a pub during the day, like a bar during the day, not serving alcohol, that kind of thing. I think it could be great. So I want to start a new little tradition here on the podcast, and I'm calling it Your One Thing of the Week. 
Here's how it works. In every podcast episode, and in the article that goes along with it, I'm going to give you one action item from now on, so that you can take the ideas and knowledge from this show, and not leave them stewing in the back of your brain, but actually put them into use, or discard them. That's fine too, right? It's about making a decision. So, this is based on my mantra, which I use a lot, especially on the YouTube show, which is just do one thing, J-dot. So I'm going to help you J-dot every single week from now on. This time, your piano teacher assignment or your one thing of the week is to evaluate whether this casual performance format would be a good fit for your studio. If you think, nope, not for me, have a little think about it, think, nope, not for me, all good, leave it. Leave it on the shelf. If you think, yes, I love that, and here's how I want to do it, or I kind of have an idea how I want to do it, but I need to refine the details, you're going to make an appointment in your diary to review and plan for it and put it into place. It's one or the other. Do it or don't do it. I'm excited to hear how you get on with this, and I'm excited to hear your piano party ideas that you've tried, whether Christmas or otherwise. Let me know in the comments or in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers group on Facebook. I would just love to hear from you. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.